0: This podcast is for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. Hey, buddy, how's it going? Uh, I'm fine. Nobody cares. You ready to get into it?
0: <laughs> well, before we get into it, do you have any housekeeping items? Oh,
1: I do. Thank you for reminding me because I would have totally forgotten. We got two more five-star rating reviews. So, Gbaby underscore forever. I like that one, Gbaby. The title is, This is the Truth. says, the the first episode I listened to was Rodney Alcala. Great job. As I listened, I didn't want to like you guys. Sorry, Erica. You remind me of my stepmom, which only makes sense why I rejected it first, but grew to love with time. I love this show and I'm happy you guys are back. That's high praise. The fact that you got her to love this, even though you sound like her stepmom, I think that's fantastic.
0: Well, gee, baby, I promise I won't date your dad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The other one, which the other one, not that all of our five-star rating reviews aren't tremendous, but they add a little weight when they come from other podcasters. And so uh, we got this one from Crime Soup Podcast. This says, I recommend your podcast to everyone who asks for suggestions. From Crime to Crime is my favorite all-time show. Let me know if you're ever in Salt Lake City and I'll buy you guys a drink. Thank you so much, Crime Soup, and you're clearly not Mormon. That's high praise. So we really take that to heart and thank you so
0: much. I love how you just assume everybody from Utah is LDS. Well, I mean, isn't that kind of everyone's assumption? I don't know. Maybe. Anyways, thanks, Hannah and Kaylee, for the great review. Absolutely. And if anybody else is looking for another true crime podcast, Crime Soup is where it's at.
1: Most definitely. We highly recommend it. But for our show, where are we going to this week?
0: We're going to St. Louis, Missouri. February 28th, 1983.
1: February 1983. I'm going to guess, honestly, uh, Porter Wagner. No. Oh.
0: I don't even know why you're guessing anymore. It is
1: a fun game to play. So well, am I right, though? Is it Porter Wagner?
0: No, it was Charlie Pryor.
1: <laughs> See, you didn't even want to do it and you still knew what was up.
0: Well, of course I knew. I. Oh, That's the first thing I look up.
1: Really? Why?
0: It doesn't matter. It's just like a weird... It's- Tick that I have. I it don't sets know. your tone. It's probably a mental illness.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. But this, it just sets your tone. Is that kind of like it puts you yes. like, okay, I know where we're at because Charlie Pride was rocking the airwaves? Yes. Interesting.
0: Okay, so we're going to St. Louis, Missouri. We're going to Clemens Avenue. There's an abandoned apartment building that's been abandoned for a few years. And this story's been told and retold a lot, and it's always the same story about these two guys whose car broke down, and they were looking for, like, a metal pipe to fix their car, so they went into the basement of this abandoned building. In every retelling, they're like, that doesn't really make any sense, but whatever. Then recently, there was a guy who did a documentary on this case, and he's like, that doesn't make sense. And he kind of set out to clear up a bunch of stuff. And this documentary is fantastic. It's on Prime and it's called Precious Hope Revisited. And he completely clears this up that there was no two guys that were broken down car. They weren't looking for a pipe. They were just neighborhood teenagers that were fucking around in an abandoned apartment building.
1: I mean, that really makes the most sense, right? Like. Teenagers, especially yeah, in this time, totally. like, they had to entertain themselves. Dude, teenagers back then had so much more fun than teenagers now do. Like, teenagers now are so safe in their house and like everything's protected. Like, teenagers back then were like getting tetanus. Yeah. What a life.
0: These two neighborhood teenagers, they were older, t- like 18, 19. They were adults, but they weren't grown men.
1: But they were the size of grown men. So it's understandable how that gets mixed up.
0: Yeah. No, it's not. There's a lot of stuff in this story that gets mixed up and it's not understandable. Oh. It's actually kind of wild. All right.
1: Well, I'll just I'll just shut up and listen.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this documentary on Amazon Prime is actually really really cool because they have a lot of interviews with the actual detectives on the case, the actual police department on the case. Oh, that's cool. So, one of these guys lights a lighter in the basement. They say it's cuz it's dark down there and they can't see, but maybe they were smoking something, who knows. Oh, yeah.
1: 83 Absolutely.
0: Yeah. They realize, though, in the glow of the lighter that there is a woman's body in the basement of this abandoned apartment. Oh, my God. Yeah. What? It's bad. It's not like somebody was down there and froze to death or OD'd or something. It's shocking.
1: Even if they had OD'd or froze to death, this would be shocking. And, like, you're only able to see this from the glow of your lighter.
0: Oh, yeah, it's scary. She's face down with her hands tied behind her back with red and white rope. She had red fingernail polish on. She's naked from the waist down. And she has on a yellow sweater that's covered in blood. Wow.
1: This is horrific. Like, what a terrible sight to see yeah. by the candlelight.
0: The most horrific part of it, though, is that she was decapitated.
1: Oh, I didn't see that coming at all.
0: Yeah, and her head was nowhere at the scene. Not that they could see anyway, but it would turn out that it was not at the scene.
1: What do you do with a head? Why would somebody decapitate somebody else and then, like, take their head with them? What do you do with that? Why do you have that? Oh,
0: my. Well, I'm sure they didn't keep it, but I'm sure it was to, you know, hinder identification, which turns out, since we're doing an episode on her 40 years later, worked. Wow. So these kids run back to their house and they call the police. When the police arrive, at first they thought that she might be a sex worker, a trick maybe turned bad. Maybe she was doing tricks. And this I, apparently, this neighborhood is a little bit at this time kind of crime ridden. Yeah. But when they turned over her body, they found out very quickly that she was not an adult.
1: Oh, again, didn't see that coming.
0: Yeah, she was a child. She was a prepubescent child.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Oof. That is, that's, that is tough to, to think about. Yes.
0: She was probably between the ages of 7 and 11.
1: Jesus. Just a little baby, man.
0: Yep. During the autopsy, they found out that the decapitation was extremely violent, obviously and brutal, but it was performed post-mortem, so she was not alive.
1: I mean, if there's a silver lining, I guess that's it, but it's not much.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, what was not post-mortem was the violent sexual assault, the beating, and the probable strangulation that she suffered.
1: Mm-hmm. Man.
0: And they figured this out because there was nothing in her stomach contents, like no food. The only thing that was in her stomach contents was blood and in her lungs, which means she aspirated blood and swallowed blood while she was still alive.
1: Okay.
0: And according to the medical examiner, that can only happen if you have blood in your nose and your mouth and you're still breathing.
1: Jeez, so. I hate all of this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. She had some pretty extreme injuries to her vaginal area also, like tearing and bruising. This was a violent, brutal murder.
1: I mean, to say the least, it sounds like it's an awful attack and it's always worse when it's a kid. So mm-hmm. now it's 10 times worse.
0: But there's like zero chance that this was like an accidental death and then somebody freaked out and dumped her body. Like, oh no, this
1: was brutal. This was meant to do what it did. Yes. Yes.
0: So, interestingly, what they don't find is evidence of any long-term abuse. All of her injuries were all around the time of her death. Like, she seemed normal development-wise for a child her age, 7 to 11. She seemed not malnourished or any signs of broken and healed bones. Nothing like that. Bruising that had already healed. Like, she seemed like she had a pretty not horrific life up until her death. So, I mean, just
1: trying to think of, like... How she gets in a situation like this then. Yeah. I would understand it being apparent if they had marks on them already or, you know, some other kinds of signs trauma. But, mm-hmm. I mean, this sounds like it was just an ab- probably like an abduction or something.
0: Yeah. So, over the years, it's been widely reported by credible sources, like, Newspaper articles that she had spinal bifida occulta, which is like a very mild form of spinal bifida. Oh, okay, cool. That sometimes so she can
1: walk and stuff. Yeah, okay. yeah.
0: Sometimes people who have it don't even know they have oh. it. Oh. Like, remember when my brother got in that really bad motorcycle accident and they left him taped to the backboard after they airlifted him to that hospital? No, that was... Because they thought he broke his back. No, that was
1: before my time, but I do remember you telling me about it.
0: Yeah, well, he had seizures and stuff, so they were, like, super worried about his brain. But when they did the full-body x-rays and stuff, they thought he broke his back, but it was some kind of... Something like that, where it was, like, a mild form of spinal bifida. Anyway, he didn't even know he had it. You would never know, whatever. Oh, crazy. So that's been what's reported on this case forever it was that she had a mild form of sp- but this documentary that i was telling you about that this guy just released pretty much found out that that's like a total rumor that somehow just got like put into the narrative and has always stayed in it.
1: Oh, so that's not actually true? No. Oh. Is it spinal bifida or spina bifida? I don't know. I think it's spina bifida. That's why I was asking.
0: Long story short, she didn't have it. So that's been reported on for years that she might have had spinal bifida or spina bifida, whatever the fuck.
1: It's, it's spina called. bifida and spinal stenosis.
0: Either way, she didn't have it. So people may have been like, oh, I have a cousin I haven't seen in 20 years, but she didn't have spina bifida, you know. It's it's kind of sad that there's been a lot of misreporting on this case, like a lot of rumors that got put into the narrative as if they're real. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. I, that just yeah. helps. That just confuses things longer and keeps these things, you know, unsolved.
0: What also gives families who don't want to believe that this could be their niece or their granddaughter said so they're like, oh, well, my granddaughter didn't have that. So it's not mine. When there's stuff like this, that's wrong. That's kind of scary in Jane Doe cases. So, <laughs> yeah, no spina bifida. The police believe this little girl is. Obviously going to be reported missing any now. Doesn't seem like she was neglected or abused or anything like that before this happened. So they think like a family at some point is going to call and report her missing. But that never happens.
1: Which that in and of itself is also just amazing, right? Like how is there nobody reporting this? Unless obviously they're not from that area, but like, you know, the chances of that. Even still though. Yeah,
0: man. Even still though, because they searched high and low. We'll find out what they do over the next forty years. But even if she was reported missing in a different area, they would have connected it by now. Yeah. So when no leads come in, they start canvassing the local area, you know, around the crime scene. Right. And they're looking for eyewitnesses who saw people going in and out of the building. Maybe somebody saw a car. And also they were looking for her head. We
1: might get into this later, but like... What happened to these boys? Like, are they suspects or, like, just not part of the story anymore?
0: No. I mean, they were at first, and I'm sure they were investigated, but the police say that they never suspected them of anything. They were young, and this kind of fucked them up. Yeah. So, the police say they're not suspects. But they canvass the area also looking for her head. So, they have to look in dumpsters and drainage ditches and woods anywhere they can, but they find nothing.
1: Seriously, what do you do with a head? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if, they, if you can't find it in this, the only thing I can think is this is this person dug a deep hole and buried it so like the dogs couldn't find it but I mean god that would it wouldn't have to be a very large hole but it would have to be a very deep hole and that's still a lot of work
0: or he got rid of it in a much more remote location or you know in a different state it does seem odd though why wouldn't he just get rid of both things in the same place but well
1: well, again what like what type of person just walks around with a human head
0: I don't know but I don't think he kept it I think he separated the head from her body to mess with With identification, which turned out to work because they don't know who this little girl is.
1: Yeah, you're right.
0: So I think he just dumped her head in a different location than her body, and her body happened to be found, but her head wasn't. And think about where he dumped her body. If those kids hadn't have been fucking around in that basement, she may have never been found. She may have been skeletal by the time they tore that building down in 1999.
1: Yeah, it's very true.
0: It took 20 years to tear that building down. She would have been skeletal. She may have just been demolished with the building.
1: Yeah, you're very right.
0: Yeah. So when they got no leads from the neighbors, because everybody, I don't know, I didn't see nothing. You know how that goes. (laughs) Yeah. So when they have no leads from the neighbors, they check with the local schools because they're like, well, this little girl has to be missing school. But that's a giant mess because apparently in the 80s school records like attendance records and stuff weren't computerized. They were like all manual. Hmm. And that was only if the schools did them. They didn't all do them. Right. And they had some sort of like secretary shortage at this time. So it was super time consuming for the police because they would call a school and be like, do you have any girls who haven't shown up in a couple of days? And the school would give them like five names. And then they'd have to track down all five of those kids. And some were at different schools. Some were just truant. And they would have to call every single school and do that. And then the schools would call back like a week later and be like, oh, we didn't know. But this girl hasn't been here. or That girl, you know, like they just didn't keep very accurate records.
1: that's one thing. Like as time has gone on, like we have done right as society has kept much better track of people and things. And things. yeah, yeah, I think we've done a lot poorly totally. as a society. But that's one thing we've done really well.
0: Yeah, but they had to track down like every truant kid, every absent kid, everything. every kid who transferred schools. Because apparently they used to just like transfer schools and not tell the old school. They just start them at a new school. <laughs> apparently that happened a lot. Yeah,
1: yeah, I can I can definitely see how that just is just like.
0: Yep. The chance for schools. Oh, okay. Well, less work for us. Yeah. And this is St. Louis. This isn't like some podunk, you know, I mean, this is a huge, I mean, there's lots of schools. So this takes a really long time and it makes the news, but you know, not like front page news because for some reason, nobody cares about John and Jane Doe's and I don't get it, especially when it's a baby. Like she's a baby.
1: Yeah. That I can definitely understand a lot more. Like somebody has to know who she is.
0: Yeah, But the night that this made the news, it was like not the first story they talked about on the news. It was like after a commercial break or whatever. And the first story they talked about was the season finale of M.A.S.H., it's like, are you fucking kidding me? There's a baby girl who's dead. Why is that not number one? Like, whose kid is this? Yeah, I have no idea. That's wild. It is wild. They also had the added benefit of having to deal with all the crackpots that call in and admit to doing something, but they're lying. You know, they're like, oh, I did it. And then you find out they were in jail for like the last three years, so they couldn't have done it. And then this one guy, he like wanted the reward money to tell them where her head was, and they paid him $600 up front. He like drug him to Iowa and made him look in these this forest because her head was in a tree and it was all nonsense none of it was true Jeez. and he admitted at the end. he's like oh i just wanted the money
1: did he get it?
0: Well, they paid him $600 up front. Because oh. he wouldn't tell him where the body was without them paying him something. But obviously they took it well, back. Yeah.
1: Sure. So like, what's even the point? Nothing. Oh my God.
0: And then another guy confessed to being the guy and he had a skull on his mantle and he had a machete and some girl called the police and was like, he admitted that he killed her and he has a skull on his shelf. So they went and checked that out and it ended up being a toy machete that wouldn't cut anything. And the skull was not this child's skull it was a skull from a science class, like from a like a fake skull from a science class. Okay, that's what I was hoping it was. Yeah. So after nine months of shitty leads like this that go nowhere and nonstop searching for her family and school records and everything else, by December they decided that no family had come forward and that it was time to bury her. So the men who worked at the cemetery that dug her grave, the actual grave diggers, were her pallbearers. Oof. Yeah. And there was a couple officers, a minister and a photographer from the local newspaper. And that was it. Wow. It was so sad looking at these pictures because this photographer from the local paper took pictures of the fact that there was four chairs set up next to the casket and they were empty because there was no family there. There was nobody.
1: Hmm. I mean, I guess it makes sense they don't know who she is, where she's from or really anything else about her, who else is going to do it.
0: Well, you would think like the community would come together and do so, but by the time they buried her it was like almost a year later, you know. Everybody had kind of like moved on and obviously Mash wasn't on the air anymore and everybody was way more upset about that. So even though these pictures are super duper sad, it was a really good thing that that photographer from the newspaper came because 30 years later that's going to be pretty important to this case.
1: Okay, let's keep going then.
0: So a nice couple who owned a monument company saw the story on the news about her being buried with no name. They wanted to donate a headstone for her with like a blank space for her name so that when they identified her it could be engraved. But the cemetery that she was buried at was like, oh no, thanks. The ME's office said that would be inappropriate. And the monument company was like, well, that's kind of weird. They do gravestones all the time for John and Jane Doe's. How is that inappropriate? So a bunch of high school kids heard about this and they wrote a letter to the ME's office being like, why can't she have a gravestone? Like we don't get yeah. it. And the next day the Emmy wrote back and was like, no, nah, it's fine. It's like totally allowed. Kind of like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. So in May of 84, this monument company erected a monument in honor of her. And it's like a headstone, but it's like a statue one.
1: Like a whole thing? Like not just like a, hey, here lies, you know, whoever?
0: No, it's like a statue one with like these angels and like an inscription. It's really beautiful. Oh, wow. So there's like the date in the middle that says February 28th, 1983. And then there's like a blank space for her name. And then at the bottom, it says the saddened hearts were healed in knowing the pain of life is over and the beauty of the soul is revealed.
1: It's, I mean, that's a beautiful thing to say. Yeah. From what you've said, it sounds beautiful. Yeah.
0: It was kind of weird that the cemetery was really awkward about it. Yeah. And we'll get to why that is later because the cemetery is very problematic.
1: Oh. Huh. Is that a sentence you've ever said before? No. Yeah, I didn't.
0: Uh, actually, yes. Really? Really? One time. Yeah, we had an issue one time with like a family member. We went to go look for their grave and my mom and my aunts hadn't been there before. And we looked it up on like the map thing and we went to where it said it was and it wasn't there. And they got all weirded out because there was like something in the newspaper about them like reselling graves when people hadn't visited their family in a long time.
1: Like they know how often people are visiting their family, but I'm sure like old-ass
0: graves, you know? I don't know. But they freaked out about it. But then my aunt went back like two weeks later and it was there. They were just at the wrong spot or something. So I don't know. But yeah, that's the only other time I've ever heard of a cemetery being problematic.
1: That does sound problematic, but yeah, cemeteries are usually pretty uh, work with you. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, kind of normal.
1: Kind of like we do this all the time and like no one really wants to be here, so we'll try to make this as easy as possible for everyone.
0: And I think they're pretty well watched and regulated by somebody. I don't know who, but somebody.
1: (laughs) I guess somebody's doing it, right? It's got to be somebody's job. Yeah,
0: they have to be. So when VICAP was started in nineteen eighty five, she was put in VICAP, like she was the first case that they put in VICAP in St. Louis. But that hasn't led to anything to this day. There's never been another crime similar or matching the MO or anything. What is
1: VICAP again? Uh just for those of us who are those who are listening and don't know.
0: The violent criminal apprehension program. Oh, right. Yeah, we knew that. And they put cases in there so that like if different police departments all over the country all have little seven to eleven year old girls who are decapitated and have their arms tied behind their back they can match cases together and then test them against each other to be like oh this is the same guy yeah it's helped a lot with serial killers and serial rapists like serial offenders it helps a lot with
1: oh well good i mean it sounds like a great thing then
0: yeah then when namus was created she was also put in namus and there's never been any leads in that either she's never been matched to any missing persons files or anything so the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children have her in their system, too, and she's the only case in their system without a photo or even a reconstruction, like a age progression, nothing, because they don't have her head.
1: That's Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? Like You can't really predict the body.
0: Yeah. They were so desperate for leads at some point in the investigation when they were contacted by the psychics. You know how that always comes about <laughs> yeah they were like fuck it we don't have anything else let's see what they got to say obviously that led nowhere but one of them told them that her head was in a boat in the gulf of mexico so that's pretty i mean what are you gonna do stop every boat and check like hey can we just check because linda told us that you might have a head
1: yeah there. that's so weird <laughs>
0: I, that's the one thing that i don't get about psych i get it if people want to believe in that stuff whatever but why is their information always so vague like if you're really a psychic why can't you just say say it why do you always have to hint at it why is it always a riddle i
1: mean <laughs> i get where you're coming from but i think when they do that kind of stuff like i watch it and you know like i don't think it's an overwhelming like okay your aunt dorothy is connecting me from the other side and saying you know you should get the cheeseburger at The Cheesecake Factory. You know, I mean, I think they get, like, in inclinations like or, like, feelings towards something. And it may not be, like, overwhelming. They might be like, I'm not really sure what I'm feeling, but I feel like it's a woman.
0: That's what I'm saying. It's never sure. It's never like, this girl's name is Chelsea.
1: Well, I mean... Like, never. I mean, it is kind of a (laughs) made-up thing in general, too, right? Like... There's no way to check it. You're going off of somebody's feelings. Now, I won't discredit people's gut feelings because I do think that's very real. No, of course. But yeah, psychics generally don't really know what's going on. They got got a gist.
0: Well, there's no way to check it. How are you going to check every boat in the Gulf of Mexico to make sure her head's not like there's no way to verify that. So it's like, thanks a lot for nothing. So anyway, they get a bunch of anonymous letters. They have to track down every one of those, you know, from people who are like, ah, oh, I know this guy, Jim, he probably did it. You know, that's never the case either. So by 1990, this is seven years later, they still have nothing. So one of the investigators went on Oprah to try to drum up leads, but that didn't help either. It did nothing.
1: So they got nothing about this little girl at all. They have no idea at all how any of this happened.
0: Nope. By 1994, uh, Fonzie... You know the Fonz? Oh. Hey.
1: Henry Winkler, baby.
0: Yeah. He had a show called Sightings. Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was about a bunch of psychics or something. I don't know. I didn't
1: watch it. I knew he had a show called Happy Days. Right. But the (laughs) cops said-
0: yeah let's go on this sighting show with the psychics like if nothing else obviously they don't think that a psychic is just going to tell them who she is because that never happens but they're like it's a tv show so at least we can get her story on tv so they agree to do this show the sightings or whatever sightings but the psychic on the show says that she needs something to hold of the victims to be able to like channel her so they sent her the sweater and the rope Uh, The only two pieces of evidence in this case, they just... Sent to a psychic? Shipped them to a psychic, yeah.
1: (laughs) This is the lawless land, man. I'm telling you, anything would happen. Anything Uh happens at this time.
0: So they do the show. Nothing happens, obviously. They don't know where she is. Psychics aren't real. And then she ships the sweater and the rope back, but gets lost in the mail. At least that's the story for like 30 years.
1: Right. I was going to say, like, okay, psychic, then tell us where it went.
0: Yeah. (laughs) First of all, yeah. Second of all... I don't think that they're shipping the only piece of evidence in the most brutal murder in St. Louis history, just like USPS. I'm sure they sent it courier or some sort of police escort. There was something traceable with how they sent it. They at least sent it UPS, signature required. But for 30 years, everybody thinks the psychic never mailed it back or that it got lost in the mail. But this documentary... Reveal like he interviewed the psychic and the police department and she's like no i sent that shit back i sent it with the receipt the tracking everything she's like you think they're just going to send it usps like come on and then the detective on the case admitted that they received it there's a signed receipt for receiving the evidence back but they've (laughs) since lost it which is a way more believable story than it just like got lost in the mail
1: (laughs) (laughs) that is a pretty good one though just oh we don't know it just got lost (laughs)
0: Yeah, but even when that documentary guy was like, why... Like, what? And they're like, yeah, we just, like, never really corrected that story because it's kind of funny to think that it got lost in the mail. It's like, it's not funny. And it's not funny that you guys lost it in your evidence room either. But, I mean, shit happens over 40 years. But it does make you feel a little bit better, though, that it's lost somewhere in the police department, although it doesn't. But at least, like, maybe there's a chance of finding it someday. Yeah. If it just got lost in the mail, you'll never find it. (laughs) But if it's lost in the evidence room, maybe it's in with another case or something. Like, it got filed wrong.
1: Oof, man. It's a lot of work.
0: Yeah. So it turns out it didn't get lost in the mail is the point of that, but it is lost. They don't know where it is. And they have moved police stations since then. Oh, wonderful. So it could have got lost in a move, which sucks. Yeah. But, or it could have just got put in with a different case and they haven't come across it. I don't know. I don't know how they keep their inventory. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't look into that. That does seem like something you would do.
0: No. Well, they don't, they're don't. they not real open about that on how police departments do that. Oh, no? They don't generally... No. They're not like, here, this is how we do it. Because then people will be like, that's not right. That's a big problem. And they're like, well, how would we lose evidence if we did it right? You know. (laughs) Anyway, so this documentary has brought to light so much new shit or old shit that was like just kind of reported wrong from the beginning and then just rinsed and repeated over the years. Yeah. Like the sweater, he tracked down the manufacturer of the sweater because it's always been reported that the tags were ripped out so they didn't know where the sweater came from. But he's like, well, you don't need that to like find out who made it. So he tracks down all these like sweater manufacturers and textile experts and all this kind of stuff and he figures out the manufacturer of the sweater.
1: How? How much effort to go through all this to find that out, you know? Like, that seems like so much, yeah. like, I mean, it sounds like it's probably needed, but that's so much work to get that answer.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, that should be being done by the police, but it's being done by a documentarian. Who, by the way, this is his first documentary, so it's like, he's not even a documentary I mean, he is now. He just had this, like, I grew up here and this case has always bothered me and I need to do something about it. He literally knew nothing about filmmaking. He doesn't have, like, a background in it. Nothing. <laughs> So
1: I love it. I love that he's just like, oh, I'm interested in this and just went for
0: it. Oh, yeah. He's fantastic. So anyway, he tracks down all these textile experts or whatever, and turns out that it's a V-neck sweater... From Robert Bruce Brand, and it's a men's size medium, and it's yellow, and it was sold for 12 to $14 all over the country oh. at JCPenney's, Sears, like all kinds of department stores. It was like a real common sweater.
1: So it was no help. But it was a
0: men's size medium. Hmm. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. And... She had nothing on underneath it, which makes me think that it probably wasn't her sweater. Yeah, it makes me think that too. Because a little girl is probably not going to wear a super oversized V-neck sweater without an undershirt underneath No. Certainly not. I mean, most people don't wear especially in the wintertime, yeah, in February, most people don't wear sweaters without undershirts in them anyway,
1: very true. Where it
0: snows. But then a little tiny girl wearing a mens size medium, how low would that v- neck have been? way too low to not have a shirt on? I mean, I guess it also
1: depends on how deep that V is, right? Like because if it like goes down to like your yeah. sternum, that's pretty big. But like if it's just like a V at the collar, then that's not so big.
0: Yeah. It does seem pretty big, though, if you look at pictures. I'll put some pictures on our Instagram. I mean, it's pretty. a men's
1: size medium is small as a whole, but on a little girl, I'm sure it looks huge.
0: Yeah, on a 7 to an 11-year-old. Yeah, of course.
1: That looks massive.
0: Yeah. So, anyways, back to the investigation. It's cold as ice by 1999, and that's when they tear down this vacant building. So, this abandoned building where her body was found stayed in this neighborhood for another seven, 16 years after they found her body. Like that's, why would it, why would they leave it there for so long? I don't know. I know. And I read a bunch of reports about other crimes and murders and different things that happened in that neighborhood. It's like, you should probably get rid of this building. Like it feels like a real good place where people do real bad shit.
1: It's like the Adrays building on Chapman that was there for just like abandoned for like 20 years.
0: <laughs> oh, it was abandoned like our whole life. I know.
1: It's like a dialysis center or something now, I think.
0: So, and that was in like on a busy street in like a decent neighborhood this is like quiet with an alley behind it Yeah, you know bad shit I'm sure was going on in there so anyway seems kind of weird that it took them that long to tear it down but when she was buried back in 1983 though there was no DNA or isotope testing or anything like that they didn't save anything to do any of that stuff but by the early 2000s those things are a real thing so by 2004 the investigators started contacting different labs and agencies like the smithsonian and asked like hey if we exhume her is there any testing that you can do and they're like absolutely we could do dna testing we could do isotope testing like yes exhume her So in 2004, that's what they decided to do. Oh my God. Yeah, but this would turn out to be a huge fucking mess, exhuming her.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what I would think.
0: Exhuming a body is usually not a problem. Usually they go to the grave and they dig it up and they exhume the body and they do DNA testing. But in this particular case, it's a huge fucking problem. Because remember I was telling you about that mess of a cemetery that she was buried at? And remember I was talking about how it was like real problematic? Yep. Well, apparently the owner committed suicide in ninety. And no one had taken care of it since she died. Oh. And it turns out there was, like, a huge thing where she was being sued for some real shady shit, like, burying bodies on top of each other in the same grave. Yeah,
1: I've heard that cemeteries have gotten in trouble for doing that.
0: Yeah, and not keeping records of where they buried bodies. So when they go to the cemetery to look for her grave to exhume her, there's headstones scattered everywhere that have been, like, moved. There's bones laying in the leaves and stuff because bodies weren't buried deep enough. Because they would dig a hole six foot deep and then they would bury three bodies in there, three caskets. So the top casket was only like a foot under the ground.
1: What does this cemetery do in there full? Like just-
0: uh, close. Uh, yeah, I know. I don't like, know. Is that
1: it? As a rule though, I, I feel know. like we shouldn't be burying bodies anymore. We should be cremating them.
0: Well, where you live for sure, because there's no room left because there's too many people, but there's lots of room in the country.
1: <laughs> I, I don't think we should bury bodies though. It's a waste of time, energy- Materials. It's not good for the environment. I I think we should just, everyone should be cremated. Just, all right, that's it.
0: Well, it is what it is. Do you want to be cremated or buried? So, I don't care. I don't want to talk about that. I want to get to this case. I want to be cremated. So, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be dead, so it doesn't matter.
1: A fucking men. That's what I say. Like, I don't care, but cremate me. Like, yeah. do whatever the cheapest thing is to get rid of my body.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I just don't want bagpipes played at my funeral. I know that's a big controversy, but I think they are annoying as fuck.
1: Um... I think that's like a designation thing, and I don't think (laughs) you're designated to have bagpipes played at your funeral, so I don't think you have anything to worry about.
0: Play bagpipes at anybody's funeral.
1: I mean, it's generally a very special thing. Okay.
0: So, the point of that is that this cemetery is a fucked up mess. They dig up below her monument. Remember her headstone monument that they erected for her?
1: With the angels, yep.
0: Remember, they weren't going to allow it at first, and then they were like, okay. So, she wasn't under it.
1: Um... Sorry, I must have misheard you. What?
0: Yeah, she wasn't under it. Three other bodies were, but not hers. Oh wow! All
1: right, what is this all
0: about? Yeah, it's a fucking mess. This place is disgust. Like I, it, ugh, it's a mess. So by twenty thirteen, this guy reads an article about this whole cemetery being a mess and them not being able to find out where Jane Doe is buried because her monument wasn't placed on her grave. It was, like, just wherever they put it. Yeah. And this guy watching this, like, or reading this news article, he's like, hey, my niece can probably find her. So it turns out this guy's niece, her name is Abby, and she's a PhD of computer science and was working on some technology, like, camera geometry something. I don't know. And it's where you can try to locate things based on, like, historical photos and maps apps and stuff. Hmm. So she's like a super cool nerd, pretty much. Yeah. So she contacted the investigators and was like, hey, I'd like to help. I saw a picture of the funeral from the newspaper, and I think I can figure out where she's buried based on that picture if I could see the like original of the picture. They were like, cool, thanks. <laughs> Please help us. You know, they needed help. So they contacted that photographer who luckily was a hoarder and still had the negatives of that funeral. <laughs> like 30 years later and they developed them. And so she did a bunch of her like tech magic stuff because they could see in the photos, like certain headstones and billboards and different things. But in real life with all of that cleanup and having to clear everything, headstones got moved. So they couldn't really go by that. Those billboards that were in the original photos had been torn down and rebuilt like 15 feet over from where they were before. So like things were a little bit awkward, but she ended up working her magic and she didn't say like this spot specifically. She said I think she's in this like three to five foot area somewhere right here. Oh wow! And they were like, okay, let's get to work. And they started digging. And when they got three foot down, they hit a casket. And when they opened it up, it was the body of a an adult and so the, with a head. Oh, so so they were like, that's
1: not it. Fuck. Yeah,
0: but they kept going, and she was buried in her casket below that body. Wow. Yeah, wow. which could be part of the reason why the cemetery didn't want them to put that grave marker there because they had already buried somebody else over the top of it.
1: Oh.
0: Yeah, see, she was buried in December, and it was May when they were trying to put this monument in. And by May, they had already buried somebody else on top of her. And so they probably didn't want those people's family to know that somebody was buried below their loved one. So they moved her marker, like, somewhere completely different that she wasn't buried.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah, pretty crazy. Oh
1: my gosh.
0: Yeah, so after all these years and everything, this is 2013 now. They finally find her body, and they were able to send samples to the Smithsonian... And the university of north texas for isotope testing which is fucking whatever i still haven't made up my mind on isotope testing because i have not yet researched a case where isotope testing has been accurate or like helped at all (laughs) so i don't even know about this because the university of texas gave 10 states that she could be from which is like okay at least it narrows it down from 50 to 10 yeah
1: that's I mean, that's significant for sure.
0: Yeah, totally. But then the Smithsonian gave like 10 states that were 10 completely different states from the ones the University of Texas gave.
1: Perfect. Okay.
0: They both ran the same isotope testing. And all the states that the University of Texas said were all in the South, like all these 10 states in the South, but not Missouri. And then the ones that the Smithsonian gave were like 10 states all in the North, but also not Missouri. So it was like, ah. Uh, so now we're like, we don't know. Who knows about isotope testing?
1: She's from the United States.
0: Yeah. So they kept samples for the DNA testing and all that stuff. But by February of 2014, she was reburied in the Garden of Innocence, which is like for child John and Jane Doe. Oh, that's a
1: nice name. Where's at that?
0: Calv- oh, you're going to tell me. It's at Calvary Cemetery.
1: In St. Louis?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's much nicer than the place that she was buried before. And that service was beautiful. The funeral home that took care of her body gave her this like beautiful casket that has these like gold angels on the corners and stuff so that she'd never be alone. Like they really took a lot of care. They put her in like a beautiful pink dress and there was hundreds of people there. It was beautiful.
1: That sounds very lovely.
0: Yeah, it was lovely. So the last hope for this Jane Doe, besides someone coming forward and saying like, hey, that's my kid and Here's my proof is genetic genealogy, which CC Moore and Parabon Nano Labs have been working on for years now. It's her oldest unsolved case that she hasn't been able to solve. Hmm. Yep. Well. And they've ruled out tons of people but haven't been able to figure out who she is.
1: This is always kind of those things that I go back to that this very well could have been a child that was born into a situation where they weren't documented you know in in anything.
0: Yeah, it could be. Genetic genealogy can still track down who that child's parents are. The problem that they're having with this child is the African American community is extremely underreported in GEDmatch. Right. And which is the only database they're allowed to use. The way CC Moore was explaining it is like, they're represented in, in 23andMe and Ancestry and all that kind of stuff, but they don't seem to be uploading their DNA to GEDmatch. And they don't know if that's... Because, like, a distrust of law enforcement or what it could be, but the end result of it is that victims also suffer because they can't identify them if they don't have anybody to compare their DNA to. So, they say they're as close as they've ever been, though. Like, they've tracked down relatives, but they're dealing with what could be, like, unknown parentage or, like, maybe an adoption. Like, there's something wrong in the family tree where the tree on paper doesn't match what the genetics say so like maybe somebody's dad isn't who they thought their dad was so on their paper tree it's not lining up with their dna tree so she says they're like one upload away from narrowing down who jane doe is but until more african americans upload their dna to GedMatch, they're probably not going to get any closer than they are now
1: really that's i mean it makes sense definitely makes sense but it's really interesting yeah that there's a whole demographic that kind of collectively just isn't interested in this Is this one of these weird white people things again? White people do weird stuff all the time. Like, is this one of them? (laughs) Yeah. We don't know what it is. And we just show up and we're like, "Yeah, we've been doing this. And they're like, yeah, that's weird white people stuff. Like, oh, all right.
0: Yeah. It must be because every single genetic genealogy thing that we've researched, like whether it's Othram or DNA Doe Project or Parabon, they all say that the African-American community is extremely underrepresented in Jed match. There's very little to go off of. So there's only really two theories. So I don't know if you really want to go all the way to theory land. Oh yeah. Theory land. Yeah. So the first theory is that she was abducted and murdered by a unknown assailant, somebody unknown to her and unknown to the police. Like somebody just kidnapped her, assaulted and murdered her and then left her in that house. And she would have to be from out of state if that was the case because... Somebody would be missing her in St. Louis if she was.
1: Yeah, 100%. Interesting.
0: Yeah. I feel like that's not very likely because by this point, somebody would be missing her anywhere if that was the case.
1: Oh, and well, it's been so long, too. I mean.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They would have connected her to a missing person somewhere else by now.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's been 40 years.
0: Yeah. So the most likely scenario is that she was killed by a family member, somebody who was supposed to be taking care of her and in charge of her.
1: I, I mean, I do think that that's probably the most likely scenario, but these are the kind of things that you can't rule out, kids being in bad situations and not being recorded.
0: Right. But that's still the person who was in charge of her.
1: Yeah, you're right.
0: How would a kid end up in a bad situation without her parents putting her?
1: there yeah good point that's true because if
0: her parents were good decent people they would report her missing when she ended up in that situation
1: yeah. yeah you're right
0: yeah it's most likely a family member which is probably why the decapitation because they didn't want her to be id'd
1: man that's terrible
0: yeah so that's the story of st louis jane doe
1: well that was actually really interesting and i remember when you and uh those women at crime were talking and i didn't know anything about it and you were like oh it's so interesting and i was like yeah They're usually not, but this one really was.
0: Yeah, they usually are. And sorry, guys, this didn't end up being quite such a mini episode as normal, but there's too much to go over, especially now that that documentary came out. Yeah, no kidding. Because he's like, hey, everything you've heard about this case is wrong.
1: Seriously. I mean, especially everything they thought they had going on. And then, you know, this guy prings all light like, no, it's all this way. That's big.
0: And it's not just like some documentary that's just like, oh, I think it's this way. I mean, he's talking to the actual investigators on the case and they're like, yeah. That's true. (laughs) It's like, this isn't funny. Like this is serious business. You got like people have been getting this wrong for years. So The only other little tidbit was a few months ago, there was a Reddit post about a girl who was missing her sister, that her mom went to jail in the early 80s, and they were living with their grandparents, and they had two different dads, and the dad came and picked her sister up in January of 83, mm. and they've never seen her since,
1: Oh, and
0: that the dad was from St. Louis.
1: Oh. Yeah,
0: it's... It did seem like a really good lead, but they've never been able to track down, like they were able to track down the poster and some of the players involved, but it doesn't seem that that really lined up. And CeCe Moore even posted something on WebSleuths that she doesn't think it's a very good lead, which means she's probably already looked into it and ruled it out genetically. Yeah. Because she said it's not a good lead. I mean, she said a lot more than that, but. She pretty much said, like, if this girl really thinks it's her missing sister, she should upload her DNA to GEDmatch so we can make sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And she won't do it.
0: I don't know. I don't know if that's even come to that yet. Oh. But, but I'm just saying, like, that's the whole thing is if you have a missing cousin, family, or even if you don't, it could be somebody so distant from you, you don't even know they're missing. Just upload your DNA and you might be able to tell us who this little girl is.
1: This one sounds like it could be one that could get figured out.
0: Oh, yeah. It's going to. Yeah. It's just how long is it going to take?
1: Yeah. There should be an option when you do one of those things like do you want your Yeah, there should. Yeah, shitty. just do you want your stuff automatically uploaded? Shitty. Like, yeah. Because honestly, it's a little like confusing to get it uploaded to JedMatch anyway. So, if they just had a button to push like, hey, do you want this? Yep, okay, great, thanks. Then it's done. Yep. Yeah. One thing we didn't think about though is if a judge loves the sound of his own voice, expect a long sentence.
0: stupid was that your joke that's a dumb joke it was
1: a dumb joke but that's kind of what they're supposed to be
0: all right well i love you i love you too bye bye this podcast has been a production of orange halo media llc hosted by grand Narica. if you enjoyed the show please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts to chat with us go to from crime to crime on instagram from crime to crime on tiktok from crime the number two crime on twitter or you can visit our website at fromcrime2crime.com see you next wednesday